Ring silver bells, ring copper bells, all seem to say, throw cares away. It's too early for that. This is Halloween, this <laughs> is Halloween. There you go. Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia, chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing the final chapter, the ultimate chapter, the culmination of all of the experiences of this book, chapter 16 of The Silver Chair, and this chapter is called The Healing of Harms. I am Big Bannister also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host. I'm a centaur. Luscious black beard flowing over my magnificent bare chest. Riding on me is an honor. Indeed. Also known as Chris. Hello, Chris. (laughs) How are you doing? You just tickled yourself. You Mm -hmm. just like, Mm -hmm. you you thought that was great. Uh Uh-huh. A little ego boost early in the morning. I mean, it took me a while. I had to, uh, I had to eat my man breakfast and then my horse breakfast. So yeah, got those two stomachs to fill. It's a, uh, it's, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. <laughs> you definitely ate more this morning than you normally do. I don't think I did. <laughs> I don't think you did either. Uh-huh. Um. Anyway, we did it. We arrived. We, we made it to the end of this book. We did it. In fact, cool. Woo! One more book, Kristen. One more book. We're not no. going to finish it this year, though. We're not. But another another four or five months. Yep. We can finally move on to something else. We're getting there. Oh, don't sound too excited. I'm sorry, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> How do we start this uh, discussion-based podcast situation, Kristen? We do our summaries. Okay. So as you and I are reading through the chapters, each chapter we choose five sentences out of mm-hmm. um, and try to summarize the chapter with the chapter's own words with a bunch of sentences pulled out of context. So would you like to read your summary first or shall I read mine? Uh, I'll go ahead and read mine first. Mine is um, pretty lengthy this time as well. All righty. So we're going to see if we can get through this. You're saying it's got a lot of long sentences in this chapter. Yeah, it does. <clears throat> so here's my summary. You had said this is a difficult chapter to summarize. It is, because there's a, like, the the ending chapters in, in pretty much all the books are difficult to summarize because they pack way too much plot into them yeah. to hit every plot point. Um, so here's mine. It seems that the king met Aslan. I don't know if it was a vision or face-to-face. Before he had sailed far, and Aslan turned him back and told him he would find his long-lost son awaiting him when he reached Narnia. Now, speaking of funerals, began Puddleglum, but Jill, who heard the centaurs tapping with her hooves behind her, surprised him very much by flinging her arms around his thin neck and kissing his muddy-looking face, while Eustace wrung his hand. The prince, kneeling by the king's bed, laid down his head upon it and wept. His white beard turned to gray, and from gray to yellow, and got shorter and vanished altogether, 
and his shrunken cheeks grew round and fresh, and the wrinkles were smooth, and his eyes opened, and his eyes and lips both laughed, and suddenly he leapt up and stood before them, a very young man or a boy. For with the strength of Aslan in them, Jill plied her crop on the girls, and Caspian and Eustace plied their flats of their swords on the boys so well that in two minutes all the bullies were running like mad, crying out, Murder! Fascists! Lions! It isn't fair. There that's you a go. Lot of, that's a lot of little sentences there at the end of that one. <laughs> mm, it, it, it's, you know what? Yeah. It's the last chapter. I I knew you were going to say something about that. I'm just, just saying. Okay, except fascists, exclamation point, is not a complete sentence. And yet I used it in my rewrite. <laughs> okay. As a whole sentence in my rewrite. Uh-huh. It's not a sentence. There's no verb. Okay. Anyway, continue. I'll go ahead and do my summary now. I think I only have one sentence in common with you. Okay. He's gone down to meet the king, his father, at Care Paravel, answered the fawn, whose name was Orans. Now, speaking of funerals, began Puddleglum, but Jill, who heard the centaurs tapping with their hooves behind her, surprised him very much by flinging her arms around his thin neck and kissing his muddy-looking face while Eustace wrung his hand. I've come to bring you home, said Aslan. But far off in Narnia... King Rillian buried his father, Caspian the Navigator, tenth of that name, and mourned for him. And from that day forth, things changed for the better at Experiment House, and it became quite a good school. There you go. I was hoping we'd cover different things. Like, it's hard to summarize all the plot points in this chapter. Yeah. Um, like, in yours, you completely missed the... Uh, I just skipped all re- of, yeah, yeah of Caspian and of that Caspian whole thing. waking up. Yeah, I miss, I just <laughs> skipped all of that because it didn't seem hugely plot relevant to me. Yeah, and then I mean, and 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 I skipped my description of my centaur breakfast that I really wanted. So you know, we all miss out on things. Um, so anyway, this um, so last chapter of the book, we got a lot of things to hit on, uh, a lot of little plot points, and there's some sort of interesting stuff in here that I'd like to get into discussions about. So. All right. Let's uh let's dive in, shall we? And so Jill wakes up in a cave. For a brief moment, she fears that she's back in the underworld. Yep. But no, it's a cozy cave. She's got a nice uh, blanket on her. Yeah. There's a fire. Yeah. Uh, and a hearth, even. Yeah. And she recalls the previous night where they had a they had a great dinner. They had some merriment. Lots of sausages. Lots of sausages and not wretched sausages half full of bread and soya bean either. Nope. Nope. Real these sausages. Are, these are real sausages. Yep. Um, that the dwarves cooked yeah. in pans quite larger than themselves. How would C.S. Lewis feel about Beyond Meat? Um, it's full of sorrow. Uh, yep. I actually think it's, pro, it's pea protein, but I don't know. This uh, isn't a, uh, they're not sponsoring this podcast, so yeah, I don't really you're... care about being accurate. Yeah, I'd, um, one of them's pea protein and one of them's like soy based, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they had a great grand old dinner last night, and then she wakes up pretty much before everybody else, uh, bright and early in the morning, and she meets an owl. And it's not just any owl, 
It's Glimfeather. It's Glimfeather. He's come with a message in a really annoying way. He came at two in the morning, though, and the prince ran off at that time, so. Yeah. Have a good snooze. Do, do. Don't make a to-do. To-who. To-who. Anyway, so Uh, he doesn't give them much information except what he kind of, like, reluctantly says is, yeah, 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 like, you should follow the prince. I'm going to go back to sleep now. Yeah. Uh, so he's up way too late. Um, Prince has already taken off. She should follow him. Apparently there's uh, there's been some news and he's gone off to Care Paravel. Um, then we have breakfast. We do have breakfast. So we wake up. Uh, we meet Orens. Who, oh, we do meet Orens. Yeah, he's a fawn. He's a young fawn. He comes in. And tells Jill to wake up the son of Adam because they need to get some breakfast and be gone in a few minutes because two centaurs have agreed to let them ride on their backs. Wow. And Orens makes a point of making sure that Jill understands what a thing that is because that is a profound honor that these centaurs are bestowing upon them. Like, yeah, that's that's intense pretty intense it even says later in the chapter that uh they're probably the only living people in narnia who have ever done that yeah whoa Whoa. i mean pretty pretty sure maybe on some like drunken night of celebration like the high king peter might have like maybe there's a thing but i doubt it (laughs) though i think in one of the films somebody rides on the back of a centaur even if it was like a talking rat or something yeah and I like I remember that being something that I was like, nope, wouldn't happen. <laughs> In the same way that like you shouldn't ride on the talking horses, like yeah. just the uh, the lore of Narnia is getting all flimsy. I also want to know where the the Green Witch got non-talking horses. Maybe down in Callerman. A lot of them down there, awesome. dumb horses. So anyway, uh, well, we do meet Orans, who I believe is only the second ever named fawn in the books. I feel like there's Tumnus and there's Orans and that's it. Um, I think that Tumnus is like uncle or something. Grandfather had a name that he okay. had mentioned. But yeah, Orans is uh, an elite. He's a part of an elite group of fawns. Mm-hmm. I'd also like to mention that like where we have lots of centaurs and fawns and dryads and all of these kind of different d- dwarfs mm-hmm. throughout all of the books. We've never had a Marshwiggle mentioned before this. Yes, but now they're everywhere. But now they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. This last chapter is like, yeah, we've got a Marshwiggle here and everybody knows him by name. And oh yeah, then we're going to go to the river and the fairies are manned by the Marshwiggles. And then we're going to get back to the capital and the boatmen are all Marshwiggles. Like, yep. Where did they come from? Yeah. When in the last book, in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there wasn't a single Marshwiggle on the ship. There wasn't. Like, they do all the all the sea-based work, but there wasn't a single Marshwiggle crew member that we were aware of. Yeah. So, that's interesting. Yeah. They just kind of come out of nowhere. But anyway, they have to gather the centaurs. Who, I was reminding myself, sorry. The centaurs. For all, for all the description, I'm being like, Ermagerd, they're magnificent, and like, it's such an honor to ride on them. These centaurs don't get names. Nope, they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, although we do have a named centaur called Cloudbirth, which is fascinating. Yes. Who is the one um, seeing to Puddleglum's burned foot. The healer that's coming later. Yeah. The leech. Yeah. <clears throat> it's an interesting 
interesting phrase to refer to as a healer in a respectful way. Yep. Um, and Puddleglum obviously uh, prevents the need for amputation by using some of his healing magic there. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they have breakfast. Uh, then there's this long, weird conversation about, like... Centaur Eust- breakfast. Eustace being really confused as to why it's taking the centaur so long to eat. Um, well, they have human and also yeah. horse stomachs. We just, we just got to throw in this last little bit of world building in here. Just be yep. like, all right. Lewis is just like, you know what? People are curious as to what centaurs eat for breakfast. I really need to, like, dig into this. Do. <laughs> but the centaurs apparently do have breakfast beer, so I respect him for that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Not so into the kidneys, but, you know. Uh, also, they eat a bag of sugar. Yep. Like, that's a way to start your day, isn't it? Yep. So, anyway. Really is. So, the centaurs come over looking all magnificent and sexy. Um, and then goodbyes are said because the earth children are taken off. Um, Puddleglum is going to stay here and heal some a little bit further. Um... And he's perfectly happy about that. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny, though. Like, we have obviously got a little bit of a shift in his character now where he's just kind of, like, perfectly content, but also still working his protective spells. Yeah. Well, he doesn't imagine he'll ever see his wigwam again. Yep. Where he thinks he's going, I don't know. But he's he's probably never going to see his wigwam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then the kiss happens. We got to talk about the kiss. Oh, yes. Where he's just like, oh, and speaking of funerals, Jill, and she's just like, nope, not having it. <laughs> yeah. You are the best of friends. Even Eustace says that. like, mm-hmm. And she just wraps her arms around him and kisses his face. And that's really Aww. sweet. And then, She's going to miss him. And then Puddle Glum's just like, well, wouldn't have thought she'd do that, even though I am pretty good looking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like this is also the first time that Puddleglum says something positive about himself. Yeah. So. Which means that he's obviously not very good looking. Yeah. <laughs> but this is character growth. Yeah. He but, says uh, something positive about himself. Wow. And I don't know how that works in terms of his magic, but. I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure either. Um, maybe that's like part of the, uh, part of the epilogue of Puddleglum is that this, you know, magic in combination with the kiss from Jill, like, uh, breaks the curse on him and he's actually some sort of, like, other handsome prince. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, okay. I don't know. Um, so they get on the centaurs, uh, they ride off through the woods and they're very polite in a very grown-up kind of way. Yes. And, uh, it's an informative ride as they're telling the children all sorts of properties of herbs and roots they pass, uh, Talking about the nine names of Aslan. I wrote that down, too. The nine names of Aslan. Mm -hmm. We don't get to learn what any of those are. No. Yeah. But they do discuss them. Do do we learn anything in the next book? Or do do we just... Anyway, so we just... uh, The the other eight eight names of Aslan are forever a mystery that we don't learn. As far as I know. Like I I said, I don't know if I've ever actually finished reading The Last Battle. Mm-hmm. So I have, and I have wow. no memory of it. So there might be some new stuff that you're going to encounter in the next book. Yeah, I only remember one single scene from it. Wacky. Um, what if one of his names was like Kevin? Like sometimes I go by Kevin. There are is... some who call me Tim. <laughs> just all the other eight names are just really, really average human names. Yeah. Um, but anyway... 
they they ride off through the forest and they pass by Baruna. Hey, look, we see Baruna again. No, we'll call they back. don't. <laughs> they go to the river where the nearest bridge is at Baruna. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Why did they rebuild the bridge at Baruna? That was useful. Be- no, it was a whole <laughs> plot point that the Fords of Baruna had the bridge built over them by the Telmarines, and that bridge had to be broken to free the river god. Yep. Why did they build a new bridge at Baruna? <sighs> it's a it's a it's a cramped little red roofed bridge, apparently. Mm-hmm. But why did they build a new bridge at Baruna? I don't know. This is a thousand years ago. Like, a lot no. of things have happened since then. No, it's not. This that what? that happened in Prince Caspian. Oh, that did. I forgot. Yeah, when yeah. Bacchus came back and yes. they freed the countryside of the children, were in the Telmarines. Like, yeah, I that king is still alive. Yeah, so this was eight. This was eighty years ago. Seventy, eighty years ago. I think is what it says in the books. Uh, Why did they build a new bridge? Uh, maybe How's the, the river god doing? Maybe the river god wandered off to a new part of the river and he was just like, oh no, yeah, you guys can put that bridge back up. I was just being stubborn about it. Yeah. But he, like, why did Aslan say that Bacchus needed to go tear it down? I don't know. Why did they build a new bridge? Maybe the river god is like one of those people that lives in a house that the government really wants to buy to put in a freeway off ramp and like they refuse to move. And like... They, they get offered like 10 times what the house is worth to sell it. And they're just like, nope, going to stay here. Uh, and then finally they, they, they end up moving anyway. So that's the river god. <laughs> you confuse me. <laughs> that's my job. Um, but anyway, they make the fairy wiggle. Yes, um, they meet the fairy wiggle, the, the marsh wiggle who runs the ferry. Yeah. Which, uh, Marsh Wiggles do all the watery and fishy kinds of work in Narnia, don't you know? Apparently. Like, you weren't, you weren't aware of this, but they've been there this whole time. Um, so they go up, and there's a big crowd. They see the ship of the same King Caspian ship. coming in, uh, gliding up the river like a huge bird. You know, not like some kind of sea creature or anything. Just yeah. Like, what uh-huh. can we describe the, the ship as? It's like a bird. It's like a big duck. Birds glide on the water really, really majestically, though. Yeah. Ducks, swans. Sea creatures don't really glide on the surface of the water very gracefully. Yeah, I guess so. I guess you're right. Um, I mean, jellyfish just kind of float there, so. Gracefully. Gracefully. Until you disturb them with your kayak paddle. Nope. But But anyway, there's a big fanfare. Um... Talking rats, of course, um, are the first ones to go ashore, and then there's uh, there's musicians, there's uh, you know celebratory stuff. In silver the cr- trumpets. There's silver trumpets. There's a celebration in the crowd, and then something something starts going wrong because they see uh, some knights on the deck carrying something heavy, and the they, the king doesn't exit the boat right away. Yep. And then they see that the uh, these knights are actually carrying the king on a bed who is, doesn't look very well at all. He comes down, uh, he sees really in for about five minutes, and then dies. Yep. And the music starts playing sad. Yeah, that, which kudos to the magicians for just like having that prepared and like immediately being able to turn on a dime and start playing a completely different kind of music. They yeah. were prepared for that. Yeah. I mean, a lot. Uh, like, if you're a skilled enough musician to be a court musician, you should be able to. Yeah. 
Which I think I think we talked about this a little bit on the baseless speculation segment of our last chapter, where um, I don't know if you had said it, but if you did, you were spoiling it. Where you were just like, what if the king went out and like the first island he came to, Aslan was there and was like, turn around. Which apparently is exactly what happened here. Yeah, um, I mean, we don't even know if he made it to any islands at all. He just yeah. headed out and then got turned around. Well, he was gone for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, because like this journey that the kids took took weeks. Yeah. Uh, at least. So he, he probably made it pretty far and Aslan was just like, oh yeah, by the way, your son's going to be back. So. Yeah, but we don't actually know what the, um, like... The time frame from Narnia to the Lone Island, because oh. that's where they met the the boat in the other one. Like, yeah. they had already been at sea for some time from Narnia. Correct. So, we're not really sure. Uh, but anyway, I had said I believe it would be a better, it would be better plot if the king just didn't come back and, like, we left his fate kind of a mystery. Uh, but he does. He comes back, sees Rillian, uh immediately dies yep it's sad uh eustace doesn't even get to say hi correct mm-hmm. or um, does he or does he um but anywho but they also the two kids do not get to say goodbye to the prince That's he left at two in the morning ran home mourned his father and never saw them again and then kevin shows up or sorry aslan I'm not supposed to use his secret names uh <laughs> Aslan shows up uh, right behind him as soon as Jill is like, I wish I was at home. Uh, Aslan shows up and, and... says he's here to take them home. He's here to rescue them, and she immediately uh, gets filled with guilt, uh, just like the you know the Christian experience in a nutshell. Jesus shows up, and you're just like, Ermagerd, here's all the things I've done wrong. And she wants to apologize for all these things, and then Aslan's just like, nope, I- I'm not always going to be here to scold you, which... Nice reassurance. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> it's like, sometimes I'm not here to yell at you. I mean, yeah. occasionally. Sometimes. It's here. Uh, and tells him that they had done the work, and then takes him away. Uh, and then blows away reality. Yeah, um, instead <laughs> of blowing them away, he just blows, and Narnia just fades away mm-hmm. into the distance. But the music doesn't. It doesn't. The music stays. Hmm. What do you think that means? Means that he knows that Caspian has died, and this is this is the music that's ushering him into Aslan's kingdom. There you go. I think personally. Okay. So the the rest of the world gets blown away like this this real cold magic, and they show up back in Aslan's country, uh, up in the mountain overlooking the uh, the crater that Nardi exists in. So they're yep. up there, Aslan's high country. Yeah. And then there's some some really interesting imagery in the next couple of pages that happens that I wanted to spend some time on. Because okay. there's a there's a few things uh, very notable things that happen. So they see in this stream that they appear next to is King Caspian and he's lying there with this water just flowing over him. Yes. And that's his body just showing up in Aslan's country. Yes. And they all mourn, they all weep over it, even Aslan does. Yes. And what is what does Eustace look like as he mourns? Uh definitely not a boy. Ageless. Yes. But he looks more like a grown up mm-hmm. as he cries. Yeah, but it is really hard to tell people's ages up in that country. 
And then Aslan asks him to do something. He says, hey, go into this thicket, find a thorn there, which, why there are giant pokey thorns in, like, basically heaven beyond me. Don't know why those need to be there. Well, in order to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Aslan says, hey, go find right. me a thorn, and he does. And then Aslan asks him to take the thorn and drive it straight into his paw. Yep. And the first thing I thought of here was, like, I think it's one of, like, Aesop's fables where, like, uh... And please in the lion. Yeah. Or that one. Uh, that, that one. You know what I'm referring to. Yep. Would you like to explain to listeners? I feel like I'm talking so much. Would you like to talk to the listeners about what this... Um, yeah, sure. So, Androcles and the Lion, for the most part, people do ascribe it as, as a fable of Aesop. And um, the story is a runaway slave basically ends up in a cave, um, and there's a lion in the cave, and the lion is hurt, uh, got a thorn in its paw, and Androcles removes the thorn and helps the lion and the lion becomes tame towards him it mm-hmm. basically becomes friends so they become friends and then live together in the cave for years where the lion will like share his food with androcles and all of that and after several years uh androcles gets caught as an escaped slave and gets taken back to wherever uh, rome i assume to be put into an arena to to fight and it turns out that the lion had also been captured so when he gets put into the arena the lion that's supposed to devour him uh is his friend the lion that he had helped and they are happily reunited and this testimony of the power of friendship leads to androcles being pardoned and being allowed to keep the lion with him Mm. so there you go. Uh, this is like kind of a reverse of that story. Um, but what do you think Lewis is trying to say here? Because obviously there's also this very religious symbolism yeah. of like, which I want to say, I mean, it's a symbolism of like Jesus on the cross and like the nails being driven through his hands. But at the same time, like we've already done that. Yeah. Like, but it's also very much like this, this putting of the blood into the water. Mm-hmm. Where it's like this this communion imagery to an extent, yeah. As well, yeah. I mean, and if we're, I but guess, the, but it struck me as like one like, uh, like a Thomas see the hole in my paw here kind of thing. Uh huh. And it also struck me as like a Androcles and Lion type story where I was just like. No, like this is this is definitely a lot more like the fable in my mind where the thorn is in this lion's paw. Yeah. And the power of I friendship. I know. <laughs> where the thorn is in the lion's paw and it's like the power of friendship beyond the grave to that is the power that brings back Caspian. Yeah. Into Aslan's country. Yeah, which, I mean, logistically, how does this work out, though? Because, like, if we're using this as a heaven allegory, we can assume that anybody who's, like, you know, anybody who's right with Aslan and has this relationship is going to be, like, reborn here after death and, like, you know, not, you know, like a new heavens or new earth situation or, like, a heaven allegory or something like that. So is this the process that Aslan goes through for every single person that comes here? 
is like, does he go and stab himself and bleed? Does he over go their and mourn over them and cry and then yeah, bleed put his and blood bring him back? Because like it seems like a lot to do for like you know the thousands upon thousands of people that are ending up here. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know. I think I think that it may be like I don't know that. I think that I don't think that this is part of world building where this is like the expectation for everybody, but I feel like this is world building in that this is communicating the value that Aslan places on yeah. people coming into his country. Yeah, I mean it's also a pretty significant departure from the Christian allegory because like we had the whole scene in Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe where he dies and comes back and like does the whole sacrificial atonement thing that Jesus does. Yeah. And, you know, in the Jesus story, d- depending on which flavor of theology you subscribe to, like, Jesus dies to wash away the sins of man and basically opens the door for everybody to be able to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is, once that's happened, like, his work is done. Like, that gate is open, the relationship is restored, no further sacrifice is required on Jesus's part. Yeah. But here... Aslan's already done this and sacrificially died and came back, but yet also is continuing to sacrifice of himself in order to help people be reborn. Yeah. So it's a it's a very different thing than we see in Christianity. So. It is, it is. Um, and I think that that is a very interesting take on it but there's also like a very personal nature to Aslan breaking the witch's magic uh-huh. in that he's doing it very specifically for the one traitor mm-hmm. and it's not like a he's breaking the magic of the witch for all of Narnia but he's he's dying on the stone table for that one traitor and this is very much like him shedding his blood for this one person here. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very different take on it, you know? Yeah. So, anyway, Eustace stabs him with a uh, with a foot-long thorn. Huge thorn, by yeah. the way. Huge thorn. Aslan's country has got the biggest thorns, believe me, folks. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But then he bleeds into the water, and like I said in my summary sentence, the king begins to be changed, and he, you know, his beard uh, lightens up and then goes away completely, and his cheeks flush out, and he becomes younger, and he comes back. And it's hard to tell his age, because it's hard to tell the age of anybody in this place. Yes, but he looks very much closer to the Caspian that Eustace Eustace knew. So like this very young, very young man. Yeah. And so I... I think it's interesting the age at which Caspian comes back into this place. Because it's not like, oh yeah, this is him in his prime, at the height of his power, like he's an established man. This is like, this is him in his youth. like Which was his prime. It's when he took over the kingdom of Narnia. It's when he sailed. Yeah. like But also it's very clear that we don't know his age. He's he's not a boy or a man right now. Like he is... He's, uh, he is the prime of his existence, I think, yeah. is what it's intending to say. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's become an elf. Uh, <laughs> doesn't talk about his ears. But he comes back, uh, and then they have this, he has this red reunion with Aslan, uh, and they, uh, he gets lion kisses. <laughs> yes. Wild, 
the wild kisses of a lion. But Aslan gets kingly kisses from, <laughs> yeah, from uh, Caspian. So yeah. What's the what's the difference between a kingly kiss and a wild lion kiss? <laughs> oh, anyway, please don't send us your fan art. <laughs> So then Eustace gets shooketh uh, and sees him come back and is just like, um, so by the way, uh, you're dead, aren't, aren't you? Aren't you dead? But here you are walking <laughs> around. And then Aslan says something really interesting. Yes. Uh, he said he he has died. Most people have, you know. Even I have. There are very few who haven't. Yep. So is this a reincarnation <sighs> statement, or is this like a there are more people who are dead than there are currently alive? Yeah, I I right away I took it as like an eschatological statement of Aslan just being like, yeah, the world's almost over. Like most people who have existed have already lived. Like, okay, they're they're, you know, the people that are alive now are some of the last, uh, which kind of fits in with the the Christian narrative. Um, but it is interesting to consider it from a like a reincarnation standpoint, I guess. Yeah, like I don't. I don't know if Lewis would mix his allegories like that. He's, he's definitely a fan of mixing in different mythologies, but I, I don't think he'd uh, he'd taint Aslan in that way. Oh, by I having just... Aslan allude to this very non-Christian concept, but but is it though? Because like within Christianity, like there's supposed to be a new heaven and a new earth, and yeah, all of this idea of the rebirth. Yeah, which happens and, once, and the idea of like being born again in a spiritual sense like all of these different yeah. concepts within christian theology yeah so i don't know i thought it was an interesting line um but then he's back back and, again <laughs> yeah. uh and then i i also want to read this passage because i think we could talk about this for a minute yes uh Caspian says, you think I'm a ghost or some nonsense, but you don't, you see. I would be that if I appeared in Narnia now, because I don't belong there anymore, but one can't be a ghost in one's own country. Yes, so he is now home. Mm-hmm. I might be a ghost if I got into your world. I don't know. So, I don't know. I feel like He's we're gonna... now a native of Aslan's country. That's, yeah. This is his home now. Yeah, I suppose it would be as simple as that. Um... But just continuing to read off of the book, because I think these are these are worth pointing out. He says, but I suppose it isn't yours either, now you're here. And then it says, a great hope rose in the children's hearts. That they might be able to stay here. That they here might be able to stay country. here. Like, yeah. Like, a minute ago, Jill was just like, yeah, please, let me go home. I want to leave. Done with Narnia. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, they're just like, nope, want to stay here. Yeah. Like, want to leave behind all my friends and family and my entire life on Earth to stay here right now yep so i mean maybe it's maybe it's that pretty i mean um, it it's very much talked about in a very magical sense as having like an influence on them and things like that uh-huh so they're breathing that aslan's country air <sighs> they are um but they can't stay uh aslan's just like oh no don't worry when you die you'll come back but for right now you got to go home yeah uh, but then Caspian has a request, and he just really wants to see their world, and, you know. And we have another really interesting theological statement <laughs> here about the nature of heaven. Yes. But. So he says, uh, I just want to see their world for a bit. Is that wrong? 
Aslan says, you cannot want wrong things anymore now that you have died. Yep. So his heart is perfect and his desires are all perfect now. Yes. Which is really interesting. Uh Uh-huh. He can't have any desire to sin or want anything that's wrong. Yeah. That's weird. (laughs) I, I... I mean, that's very in line with a lot of... Uh, Christian thought on how how the afterlife be like I just reading it in a children's story <laughs> it does not sit right with me I don't know like mm-hmm. I, that's all I don't know yeah it just, just it's weird he's perfectly me. in tune with Aslan's well and can't possibly want anything that would be outside of it oh. <laughs> anyway uh, but then Aslan's like, sure, I'm going to grant re- your request. Uh, however, you get five minutes. Yep. That's so all if... the time you're going to need yeah. to set things right. Yeah. I don't know if this is like a rule or anything where just like Aslan's like, yeah, I can make interdimensional travel happen, but I'm like on a strict window. I'm going to set a timer right now. Um, but he also says five of their minutes yes. too. Like he, he makes this very pointed distinction of the time difference too. Yeah. You're going to get five of their minutes. Yes. Not ours. Yeah. You know, Narnia minutes are different. Or Aslan Country minutes. Yes. Um, so, and then they he explains all about Experiment House and what they're going back to. Tells Jill to get a switch off of a bush that turns into a fine new writing crop. Yeah, because she's the horse enthusiast. We we know that she's skilled with using a riding crop. Obviously. She doesn't get a sword, though. No, she doesn't. Because she's not skilled with using a sword. She's skilled with using a switch. There you go. The, the boys are skilled with using swords. Remember when Eustace broke Caspian's second best sword on the sea serpent? Because yep. Caspian remembers. Yep, he brought that up again. Hasn't let that go. Yeah, apparently. Apparently he can want to say things like that in <laughs> Aslan's country. There's that. But they're, but they're only supposed to use the flat of the blade because they're fighting cowards and children. Yep. Um, so uh, you heard it here first, folks. If you want to swing at a sword, to swing a sword at a child, perfectly acceptable. Just use the flat at it. You can smack him around all day. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. C.S. said so. Aslan said so. Yeah. There's precedent for it. I can bring this up uh, at my trial. I'm sure it'll go fine. <laughs> um, and then they ask if Aslan's coming with him, and he's like, "Yes, but they shall see only my back." Yeah. Which very much reminds me of the Ten Commandment delivery where the face is covered and God passes by the mountain and and Moses sees his back only. Uh-huh. But it's also very powerful imagery of, like, Aslan being like, yeah, I'm coming, but I'm turning my back on these people. Well, yeah, and <sighs> even the way that it says, it says he had... He blows the wall down and then sits, lays down with his back to England. Yeah. And, like, that's the wording that it uses whoa it's it's profound imagery it's very like mm-hmm. intense especially especially with the nature of experiment house being a place where they don't use christian names and they, they don't, don't learn things like it's it about anything remotely religious or anything like that like they eat terrible sausages and they eat terrible i mean that's a post-war situation <laughs> that's that's not a that's not necessarily an experiment house issue uh-huh that's the the sausage being filled with bread and soy to save money because of post-war scarcity issues. Yeah, but uh, but Lewis turning his back on England here, being like, nope. Is Lewis doing it? 
no, it's it's totally Aslan. Um, but no, I'm I like Lewis is writing here that Aslan is basically. But is he turning his back to, or is he protecting England from his face, or these children from his face? Because we've talked a lot about the impact of seeing Aslan's face having on all of these different Earth children. Yeah, maybe maybe they'd change and they wouldn't have to get beaten. Maybe they would. <laughs> because Aslan is basically just like, yeah, you're gonna, I'm gonna send you back to beat up these children. I'm gonna send help with you even. Yep. Then here's swords and but they go back uh, through the broken down wall and they see the whole gang running up toward them. Yep. Uh, the whole gang. Yep. Adela Pennyfather. <laughs> Pronounce the next one. Clamondly Major. Is that how you say it? Yeah. It's not Chol- Cholmondely? Cholmon... Cholmondely? Uh-huh. No. <laughs> it's Clamondely. It's a name I've never heard or read before. Edith Winterbolt. Uh, the Garrett Twins. Big Bannister. Spotty Spotty Sorner. S- Spotty Sorner. <sighs> The whole gang's all here. They are. Uh, and they run up because they're going to catch these kids because they're going back exactly the moment they left Narnia in the first place. Yep. Uh, yet again. And the the expressions that they did have of like all this cruelty and malice just disappeared uh, and is replaced by fear because they saw this broken down wall, a giant lion. And these see, three people in glowing beautiful clothes. Just rushed in at them with weapons. And then they beat up the bullies. Chum- chumley. Is that how you say it? Because, like, that's a lot of silent letters if that's how you say it. Well, when I'm looking at it here, I, I googled the name. Uh-huh. And it's coming up as a surname. And the surname's pronunciation is Chumli, like two s- syllables. Fascinating. What is the origin of this name? The surname has an extra E in it, though. Instead of just E-L-Y at the end, it's E-L-E-Y. Um, th- there's a place called Chumley. Okay. Like half of the people who are listed as having this name are like the Marquis of Chumley or the Earl of Chumley. Well. Uh, or the Viscount or whatever, like the sixth Marquis of Chumley. Maybe this is very subtle political commentary that we just don't understand here. Um, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. But then there's also... Uh, Elizabeth von uh, Arnim, whose pseudonym was um, Chumley, Alice Chumley. Okay. And uh, she was a novelist pre-Lewis, so her novel Christine was published in 1917. Maybe it's talking about her. Who even knows? Who even knows? So Chumley Major. Yep. So they're there, not even, as a first name, I'm not sure what gender that would be, yeah. but yeah. Uh, anyway, they get beat up, they run away, crying murder fastest, et cetera, et cetera, oh my. Uh, and then the head comes out, who was, by the way, a woman. Which we just now found out. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway, so it's a weird thing to point out uh, in such a way. In parentheses, yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just to be like, mm, parenthetical, BT dub, she's a woman. <laughs> yeah, seems unnecessary. Uh, she comes out and sees the lion and the broken wall. And Though I have definitely, in the way that they've described the head and all of the leadership of the school thus far, yeah, definitely pictured male leadership. 
apparently not. Um, and she calls out, and uh, she comes out and just sees this chaotic scene, and is like, Irma the wall Kurd. is broken. There's people in glowing clothes. There's a lion. Yeah. Swords. Oh my. Oh my. Uh, and lions just, and walls and swords. Oh my. Has a nervous breakdown and calls for the authorities. What happens? Uh, I mean, does she have a nervous cool. breakdown, or does she become hysterical? She had hysterics. That's what it says. Yep. <sighs> Um, and she goes back to the house and calls up the police and tells them the story about escaped convicts and lions and oh my. Uh, and then Jill and Eustace slip indoors, change their clothes, Caspian heads back. This is like the first time that the people in Narnia, like, like we have another clothing situation here. Yeah. Where like in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They they came back from adulthood into their childhood bodies in their original clothing. Yes. And then in Prince Caspian, they had to change their clothes back into their normal clothes before they left. Yeah. And then in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's no discussion whatsoever about, like, Lucy not having shoes, yeah. having kicked them off in the water. Like, there's no discussion about the clothes. Yeah. Just like there was no discussion about the clothes in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It just became this thing in Prince Caspian that they had to deal with. Mm -hmm. And then, like, here we are again with clothes being a thing. And this is the first time that their Narnian clothes, like, came back with them. Yeah. That's a thing. Yeah. Hey, look, they brought a souvenir back. Also, this is the first time that somebody from Narnia ever goes to Earth. Yeah. And I'm going to say probably the last time because I don't see it happening next book either. You mean besides but, all the Telmarines? Well, they were from Earth originally. Yeah. So, you know, it makes sense they can go back. Which means that Caspian's from Earth originally. Yeah. He's like 164th Earth person. <laughs> I mean, if the Telmarines <sighs> as a concept were descendant from yeah. Earthers, then you have very much got the, like, that's where Caspian's from. Yeah. Whatever. But he goes back uh, and sees the homeworld of his people. Uh, and then police arrive. After the head calls him, they find no lion. The walls repaired. But it only took them two minutes to scare off everybody. And then Aslan fixed the wall and Caspian leaves. Yep. You know, he had three other minutes there. I don't know what he does with the extra three minutes. Yeah. But looks around and sees uh, sees a school building and is like, yep, glad I came here. Yep. <laughs> Anyway, the police show up, they find none of this stuff, uh, and they're like, well, this lady's crazy. They launch an inquiry about Experiment House and find out all sorts of things. And a bunch of people get expelled. People get expelled, uh, and then the head gets promoted upwards to an inspector to interfere with other heads, and she does that poorly, too. Uh, so she gets promoted to Parliament. And she ends up in Parliament. And lived happily ever after. Yeah. So, Lewis's comment on the, uh, the government <laughs> and how he feels about that, apparently. Yep. He was no fan of politicians. Yep. Uh, so she ends up there. Uh, Eustace buries his clothes uh, like that's a weirdo. A, yeah, that's a really <laughs> interesting thing, too. Where, like, this is his, like, proof that Narnia exists. Yeah. It's his memory. It's, it's something of value. And here he is just literally burying it. Yeah. Versus Jill, who takes it home and wears it to the holiday ball. Yeah. He's just like, these are nice. I'm going to wear them again. Where did she get these nice clothes? Where did they get these nice clothes? 
Uh, I mean, they did get nice clothes when they first arrived and they spent the night in Care Paravel. Yeah, I mean, they got nice clothes at Care Paravel, but she changed back into her clothes before they left. She just kept the cloak. Yeah. Because they were going to be adventuring. They got nice clothes in the giant's place. Yeah. But then they ran away and they were, I think they were still wearing the nicer clothes from the giants. Mm-hmm. But then they were underground. Yeah. In the underworld. And they don't spend any time at Care Paravel again. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Where did these beautiful <laughs> radiant clothes come from? They just magically appeared out of Aslan's country. That's just, you know, what they have to wear to be there. And they never cleaned up. Like, Jill, Jill slept by the fire after they got them out of the hillside after they ate and she slept there and then woke up going, hmm, I should probably get a wash. And this is the radiant, resplendent, like, beauty that she comes back to Earth in. Yeah. Uh, there we go. But Experiment House is reformed. becomes quite a good school after that. And uh, Jill and Eustace were always friends. Yep. They don't like fighting so much that they get married to do it easier. Nope, but they were they just, always uh, friends. They just stay friends. And back in Narnia. Back in Narnia, uh, we have some epilogues here. King Raelian, uh buried Caspian, uh, then ruled Narnia well. Doesn't say anything about him ever like taking a wife or having kids or anything. He's just like, nope. Raelian, this world's not, yeah, he's the last of his line, doesn't have any descendants. Mm-hmm. Maybe it ends there. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe not. But there is a really cool cave in Narnia that if you ever go, you should go check out. You should. Also, why'd Caspian not name his son after him? Because, like, Caspian's the 10th of his name, but he's just like, nope, there's not going to be an 11th. Raelian. That's what we're going with. Don't know. Uh, Can't help you there. <laughs> And uh, occasionally the Narnians would go down into the hill and sail around on the underground ocean. And if you ever go, you should go. You should check it out. It's cool. It's a, it's a sight. Apparently well, it's a good time. That's the book. Yep, that's the book. And we will discuss it more fully <sighs> yeah. in the future. But do you have anything else on this chapter specifically yeah, that you want to talk about? I pretty thoroughly got into everything I wanted to get into. So, okay. You good? Yeah, think we're I good? think so. Hey, look, we finished book six. We did. One more. One more. That's all we got. Yeah. Uh, Would you like to jump right into our next segment then? Sure. Let's do it. What are we doing this one, Kristen? All right. Well, um, the next thing that we do is we do our rewrites. So this is hashtag Narnia chopped and screwed. And as you and I, Chris, are reading the chapters, we select five sentences out of the chapter, not only to tell a summary, but we do it again to rewrite... Using the sentences and tell a new story. So we take some sentences from the chapter and tell a new story with them. Exciting. And I believe I go first. Yes. Cool. Go ahead. Here we go. (laughs) Must I? said Eustace. Eustace buried his fine clothes secretly one night in the school grounds. But Jill smuggled hers home and wore them at a fancy dress ball the next holidays. So you did reach the end of the world after all. Fascists. There are very few who haven't. Okay. What are we going for here? I don't know. It's just creating a very, like, a different sense of experience between what Jill and Eustace take away from this. Uh-huh. Where he's like, do I have to bury this? Okay, I will. Yeah. And Jill is just like flaunting it and uh-huh. being and being like and someone's like, Oh, so you did reach the end of the world and she's like, Yeah, there are very few who don't. Like That's just out there apparently. Yeah. 
Maybe I should have gone with murder. Murders. Fascists. So here's my rewrite. As follows. All right. At the very moment of their arrival, they saw that the same bright ship which they had seen when they first set foot in Narnia, gliding up the river like a huge bird. Then, four knights, carrying something and going very slowly, appeared on the deck. Eustace nodded, saying nothing, and bit his lip. Their faces changed, and all the meanness, conceit, cruelty, and sneakishness almost disappeared in one single expression of terror. And the dead king began to be changed. Ooh, I like it, I like it, I like it a lot. Yeah. Spooky. Yeah, decided to do a spooky story. Yep. To uh, kick off spooky month here. Yeah, but, uh, you know, in September. Yeah. Anyway, so there we go. There's mine. Yep. So that was our rewrite, Starnia Chopped and Screwed. And uh, before we go into our last segment, I had one more sentence that I had wanted to just bring up. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to read this sentence and see your thoughts on it. Okay. Because this is another, while we're talking about Lewis's opinions on uh, education and parliament and all of these things, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on this sentence of Lewis's. Mm-hmm. Even in this world, of course, and this is a parenthetical, so this is Lewis directly to us, the audience. Even in this world, of course, it is the stupidest children who are most childish, and the stupidest grown-ups who are most grown-up. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about that? Um, oh, I feel like it's very in line with Lewis uh, and various things he's said about, uh, you know, embracing fantasy and imagination as an adult. Uh, and, like, when he was criticized for, like, you know, writing silly stories like this, he, you know, his response is often something like, yeah, I think it's a tragedy that adults lose their imagination and, you yeah. know, stop thinking about things like this. So I think it's kind of a in line with that kind of response where... Yeah, but what about the <laughs> idea that the stupidest children are the most childish? Like, that's in direct conflict with Eustace at the beginning of Voyage of the Dawn Treader when he is the least childish child of all of them yeah. because he's the most grown-up. He's the one who reads all the wrong books and has no imagination and doesn't understand how to, like, perceive story. Yeah, I guess he would have to, you know, get into what he means by childish. Yeah, like, what... (sighs) Anyway. So, yeah, I figured you'd point that that line out. Uh... So should we just roll into our final segment here? Yeah, let's go for it. This is this is going to be a hard one for you, isn't it? Yeah. So my next segment is based on speculation, where what I normally do is, since I have not read this book or most of the books before, um, I just uh, baselessly speculate based on what happens in the chapter and trying to figure out where the story goes next. Um, obviously here that's going to be hard because there's no more story in this book. Yep. Um, and we pretty much neatly wrap everything up with an epilogue, so there, I can't really speculate as to the fate of the characters very much. Yes, but tell me more about how Oren's is in the Order of the Fawn. Oh, obviously. I mean, that's... I, I, I didn't even think that was worth being said, because it's just plot. Um, <laughs> and this is baseless speculation. Um, so what I did last time, for the end of the last book, was to speculate about what the Silver Chair would be about. Um, yeah. So... Why don't I speculate a little bit about the next book that we're going to get into? 
Uh, I was very wrong last time about this one because I assumed, like, the chair would obviously be short for, like, a chairperson and, like, the, you know, it's a statement of uh, position of power and there's going to be political drama. But we didn't go there. Um, I so, feel like you didn't say yeah, that. I feel like I, you talked about the chair being, like, some some thrift find or something like well, that. Well, yeah, I, I brought the thrift store find uh, upcycling, I believe it was. Uh, but then also the chair is a uh, position. Anywho, though. <laughs> so the next book, we had The Last Battle. It's the last book, uh, both chronologically and in release order. It is the final one. I will say I am kind of bummed that Puddleglum doesn't get, like, some sort of royal position or appointment. Uh, we, we didn't, that we know really, of, so yeah. speculate about it. The only the only thing that we know that, that happens to Puddleglum is in three weeks his foot's back to normal. Yep. But we don't even know if he goes back home or, like, you know, in his new found love of adventuring joins a ship and it goes off on expeditions like apparently that's what marsh wiggles do in narnia so who knows um yeah how very like a marsh wiggle how very like a marsh wiggle which also i think it's it's worth pointing out that not only do we have the mention of several other marsh wiggles that are out there just being a thing in narnia like they all seem very different as than how they were first presented because it's like oh yeah these are very solitary creatures and they live miles from each other in single little huts and like don't yeah. interact. It's weird, isn't it? But then also we have them on that are crewing ships and like living in very cl- close proximity to other people for long periods of time and yeah, like it's weird. are in social positions. So maybe Puddleglum is just weird. Uh, <laughs> maybe. And like those are the uh, those are the separatist Marshwiggles that live in the swamp and most of them actually live with uh, everybody else in Narnia. Don't know. Anywho. We speculate more about the, the Wiggles <laughs> the because... <laughs> Let's get into Wiggle society really quick. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, so the last battle, I think I brought up before that I believe um, for the most part everybody comes back. Um, so I think through ma- through time magic we're, we're probably going to see the Pevensies come back and Jill and Eustace since in the last chapter here aslan doesn't talk to them and be like oh so by the way you guys aren't ever coming back to narnia which yeah. apparently he does when people's last time is there but um, he's said that to all of the pevensies but he does that to the say the pevensies says that to the pevensies as well however i feel like you can't finish out the series without bringing back the pevensies in some capacity so maybe there's some kind of loophole there that allows them to come back um Timeline wise, I don't know. It could be it could be literally any time. Um, I mean, I, I I'm gonna throw out a random number, and I feel like it's gonna be you know, let's say a few hundred years after the events of this book. Uh, I don't think Rillian's gonna be in it. Maybe some de- descendant of Rillian is, but then also maybe like people come back from the dead and get reborn, and like we we bring back Caspian and we bring back Core from wherever. And uh, oh, yeah. we bring back um, Bree and Wynn. Okay. <laughs> and, like, basically, uh, you know, in the Hermit. It'll be and a reunion these... of all of the characters. Yeah, a reunion of everybody. And we, we just have three chapters of everybody introducing themselves and being like, I was in this book. Um, yeah. <laughs> or of Lewis saying, and if you want to know more about their story, yeah. read this book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Available from, from Penguin Publishers for nineteen ninety nine. Here's a mailing address. Um yeah, I think uh, at least a lot of people are going to come back. Um, I think we're going to have some sort of allusion to the White Witch again because I don't feel like uh, the witches are done 
I don't think she's going to be necessarily the antagonist here. I don't know who the antagonist is going to be. It's the last battle, so we can assume that they're battling somebody or something. Yeah. Um, you should look at the cover art. Do I think it's a witch? No. Oh, that would help, wouldn't it? Also, before we wrap this up, we should read the back cover of your book. So I'm going to dig out the last battle here. Let's see. Ooh, there's a unicorn wearing a necklace. There's a unicorn? Yep. Fascinating. <laughs> I'd like to show you the art that I have in my book. Uh-huh. Whoa. <laughs> That's much more terrifying. That's like some sort of Aztec god. Yep. Okay. Cool. Um, so there's a giant bird monster carrying off someone. Mine has a pretty unicorn. Um, <laughs> and, and they don't have wings, so this is not like... This isn't Fledge. This no. isn't a Pegasus. Well, Fledge didn't have a horn. That's true. But uh, I don't think we've ever had a unicorn in the books, have we? Maybe we've mentioned them? I think we've mentioned them. Never had one as a character. But yeah. uh, anywhere there's the unicorn. Cool. There's some stars in the background. I'm not sure which Narnian constellation this is. Uh, it might be planets, actually. Okay. I got to be very careful not to read the back cover. Yeah, do not. So I'm going to put that back. Um, that cover doesn't really tell me anything at all. How about um, this one? Ooh. Apparently I got, like, the, you know, the lame family-friendly cover. And, like, in that cover there's a unicorn with blood dripping off of it. Um, that's a lot. And there's a lady and a fawn just hanging out in a little bow of trees. That one's cute. This is not the one I grew up with, but this is another iteration of the artwork I showed you. This is some kind of terrifying creature. Yeah. All right. Well, whatever that is, maybe it's the antagonist. <laughs> but this is the one I grew up with. Uh-huh. Uh, Aslan's in a doorway, and there's green things. What are these green things that are... Are these coming toward him or going out of him? <laughs> Fascinating. Gosh, it's 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 hard to make heads or tails of that. Um. Anyway, the last battle, obviously, they're fighting against something. I don't have any spoilers. I don't th think for this book... Um, except one major one, which um, we'll get into when we first start talking about it. So I, I've got to be honest about what I know going in. But as far as, like, most of the plot is concerned, I don't really know where it goes or what happens. I have heard people say that for a children's book, there's a lot of really weird and disturbing imagery in it. And, like, people say it's, a, it's quite a departure from the rest of the series, and there's just, like, a lot of odd stuff. You mean, like, the, uh... The Book of Revelation. Yeah, and it's very it's very Revelation-y. All right. So I expect it to be weird. I expect it to be dark. Uh, but other than that, I guess they're fighting the giant bird thing. All right. Uh, maybe. Or maybe, right. or maybe that's another avatar. Of, maybe that's Kevin. Maybe that's like another avatar <laughs> of Aslan that we find out about. And like the unicorn is Steve. Um. So. Yeah, that's that's all I got. Um, we'll talk a lot more about the themes in this book when we do our wrap-up episode with an as-of-yet-unnamed guest, but we'll let you know as soon as we know yep. who that's going to be. Um, but before we close out, I guess I'll go ahead and read the back cover of this just to see what... Uh, the back cover of the, your copy of The Silver Chair, Yeah, which have notoriously had lots of spoilers yeah. in them. So we'll see what I would have learned had I gone in. Here's the back cover. Jill and Eustace must rescue the prince from the evil witch. Narnia, where owls are wise, where some of the giants like to snack on humans, where a prince is put under an evil spell, and where the adventure begins. 
Eustace and Jill escape from the bullies at school through a strange door in the wall, which, for once, is unlocked. It leads to the open moor. Or does it? Once again, Aslan has a task for the children, and Narnia needs them. Through dangers untold and caverns deep and dark, they pursue the quest that brings them face to face with the evil witch. She must be defeated if Prince Rillian is to be saved. Enter the enchanted world countless times in the Chronicles of Narnia, etc., etc. So that one's not very spoilery. Like... Except yeah. that it talks about them going the underground, underground yeah. the giants that try to eat yeah. them, like, yeah, the witch, uh-huh. you know, like, the prince, like, everything. Yeah, there's there's a few plot points Every there. major plot point. <laughs> uh, so cool. We finished that book. Exciting. I get to get a new book out. Yep. Huzzah. We're almost done with this series. I'm so we happy. are. We are. <laughs> All righty. Hmm. Anything else that you want to discuss or share or talk about or speculate on before we yes, wrap no, up? I, uh, I don't think so. I'm trying to come up with um, some sage advice to end this book with here. Oh, uh, yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, audience. And if you are interested in communicating with us over the social medias, you can do so at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of Jill's beautiful clothes mm-hmm. at the fancy dress ball at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to uh, support us on Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast. Where you get nothing in return except our undying gratitude. Cool. Next week, we will be discussing this book as a whole, hopefully with a guest as of yet undeclared. Mm-hmm. And then next week, after that, we're going to Disneyland. I mean, we're starting the <laughs> last battle. Exciting. We'll see how that goes. You got some advice for us? I do. Okay. If you are ever fighting cowards and children, use the side of your sword or a horse sweat. switch. A horse crop a riding, riding crop, crop. <laughs> a horse whip <laughs> same thing and don't ever think about putting a saddle on a centaur don't no duh <laughs> bye bye <laughs>
They were tap tapping with their hooves. <sighs> what are we doing this one, Kristen? We turn pages first. Yeah. <laughs> you can do that at Chronically Pod, or sorry, you can do that at Patreon.com slash Chronically Pod. Chronically Pod? Chronically Podcast? What's the Patreon? <laughs> oh, shoot. You've done this so many times. Shh.